it's good to see you, half of you, <laughs> but it's good to see you. It's good to be together. Thank you, Pedro and, and team, for leading us in worship. Um, as you will notice this morning, only half of us are here. Ruben, um, half of us meaning half of our family, is here. <laughs> um, Ruben had to go preach in Riverside, Kashkaish, and so he took... Um, Jade and I brought our baby girl, our other baby girl. <laughs> so he's out there preaching today. So be praying for him as well as he ministers the word of God over there. Um, and I got to be here on the first day that we're back together, which is a day that we've been looking forward to. Um, but uh, I, I, was, I was thinking this week, it's good to see you. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to preach to a camera. Um, well, I'm still preaching to you at home, <laughs> but um, I'm going to preach to to a room full of people where I can only see your eyes. And um, it's always hard to preach and to, to share a message when I can only see your eyes. Because at JD school, um, my daughter is going to be two in the summer. And the teacher, because they have to wear a mask all day, they have to use the help of these toys to let the kids know if they're happy or sad or angry. So if the kids do something wrong, they have to use the facial expression on the toy <laughs> so that the kids know that they're not happy. So I was just thinking, you know, maybe one day you guys should all have toys next to you so I know if you're liking the message, not liking the message, saying amen or not. Um, but maybe not that. But I do want to ask that you give me some feedback today. Nod your heads or say amen so that I know that you're there and I know that you're engaging with me in this message. If you're at home, comment. Um, just engage because we want to we want to be together. I don't want to just be preaching at you. I want to share a message from my heart, a message that I believe that comes from the heart of God, and a message that I pray will move you and will move us as a church to be more Christ-like and to enter into the purposes that God has for us. Amen? Amen. amen. All right. Um, but I think in the past year, it's been a constant lesson of you don't know what you got till, you, till it's gone. There's a song. I'm not going to attempt at singing it. But, right, we, we, we've had so many things that we used to take for granted. And I know that we've said this before, but so many things that were just part of life. And then all of a sudden, they were taken away. And it kind of shook us and it moved us. How many of you this week um, went to Esplanada? and had a coffee or, uh, or a meal. Esplanade is just like an outdoor area. Who went with friends? Yeah? Pretty much almost everyone. If you haven't, then please do. It is like the most amazing thing now, the most amazing gift. We have to celebrate our small freedoms and liberties. Ruben and I, we usually have Mondays off, and so on Monday we went to Windsurf Cafe in Carcavelu Beach, and we had a burger out just over, overseeing the ocean, and it was just so, so nice <laughs> being able to be at a restaurant and be served food that I did not cook <laughs> and enjoy the ocean was just so, so nice. Um, but we, we celebrate these small things, and today is, is a day that we've been looking forward to a lot at church. We've been counting down the days where we could be together, and sure, not all the chairs get to be filled yet, but it's already a step that we get to be together, and maybe we don't get to have breakfast yet together, but we are in the church building. Amen? Can we be happy about that? Can we <laughs> praise God for that? It's a day that we've been looking forward to. And as I, as I thought about, about church opening, as we prepared and as different churches all over Portugal prepared to open church again, I started to think, 
Well, what will it be like? What will church be like when we come together again? When it's not just the team here looking at a camera and you at home. What will it be like when we're able to start church and open the building again? Will we worship more fervently because now you're not just at home on Facebook hearing the own, your own voice, but you get to be here and listen and, and praise with other people? Are we going to be more eager to pray together because we just can't handle another Zoom or WhatsApp call where there's always one person that doesn't have their camera on and you don't know, are they engaging? Are they not engaging? Are they even there? Or that one person, I can tell you that in every single Zoom meeting that I have, I have to text somebody and say, please, can you mute your mic because your neighborhood is very loud and <laughs> you're kind of distracting. And so would we, would we worship more fervently? Would we pray more eagerly together? What would church be like? And a friend of ours in England, um, he, he pastors a church in Bournemouth. And he said that they were so excited to get back to church together, but he was almost disappointed when it happened. Because they had been away for so long, and, and their church is, is all about family. Their church is all about giving hugs and being together. They always have breakfast on a Sunday. They have donuts. That's where my inspiration for breakfast came for Riverside Lisbon. Unfortunately, donuts are not really available. Um, not those anyway in Portugal, so we can't have them. But our team prepares some pretty good waffles and pancakes, I'd say. But their church is all about breakfast and donuts, and they have an amazing ministry with the homeless and people with addictions. And so you have these unbelievers coming to church and mixing with believers and just such an amazing community feel. And then they get back to church. Finally, they can be in the same building, and now they can't even get closer than a few feet away now they, they, they have all these restrictions. They have to wear a mask the whole time. In England, people in the church are not even allowed to sing during the worship. They have to be quiet because singing is not allowed, as that would perhaps transmit more germs and so on. And so he said it was almost awkward to come back to church. It was almost disappointing. So I thought, well, what is it going to be like when we open the building again? When we come together again, and more than, than what I thought, I started thinking, well, what does God want from us? After this that we've been through, and who knows if we're going to enter another lockdown again, I'm going to hope not. But as we come together now, what does God expect from us as a church? What does God want from us to be as, as Christ followers? And my heart was led to a story in Mark chapter 2. And it's such a visual story. It's, it's, it's such a, a story that's so easy to, to put yourself in their shoes and, and picture this scene that I pray that today God will speak directly to our hearts and that you will go home with a picture in your mind, not just my words, not just scripture, but a picture in your mind of what the church is meant to look like today. And many of you have heard this story a thousand times probably, especially if you've been a Christian for a while now. It was a Sunday school favorite where we would color it in and we'd act it out. Um, but it's the story of four friends who bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. 
And, and the house where Jesus is at, it's, it's super crowded. And there's crowds all outside the house. And so they can't quite reach Jesus. But they know that if they just get to his presence, that their friend will be healed. And so they, they climb up to the roof of this house. They don't just give up and come back the next day hoping that maybe Jesus would be available then. No, they decide to climb up the stairs and go to the roof of this house. And houses in those days, they used to be just one story um, high, and, and people would um, have flat roofs on their houses. That this is kind of where they would chill under the stars and relax in some places in the world, like Morocco and other places. You still have these houses where you can go on the roof and enjoy um, some time with friends. And so they, these friends, they take the outside stairs, they head on up there, and they start digging up a hole in the roof that is made of sticks and reeds and a few inches of hard rock mud. And Jesus is inside the house and, and he's teaching when all of a sudden everyone's attention starts getting distracted as they start looking up at the ceiling as there's some dust and mud starting to fall. And if you've ever preached or taught a class or given a presentation, you will know the feeling of speaking to a room full of people when you know <laughs> that they have lost their attention on you. When you know that it happens in church all the time, that um, I'll be up here preaching and then the baby starts crying or somebody fell asleep <laughs> or, or somebody's phone is ringing and all of a sudden I can tell that your eyes are on me but really they're on something else and I just have to keep going and pray that at some point I'll get your attention back. So this is basically what's happening to Jesus. He's preaching, he's teaching and all of a sudden people just are looking up at the ceiling and looking at Jesus at the same time and eventually Jesus looks up as well. And he looks up and he finds that these four friends have succeeded in removing half the roof and they're now lowering a mat. You can see in this picture, they're now lowering a mat with their paralyzed friend laying on it right before Jesus, hoping and believing that he will heal them. Long story short, Jesus does heal the man. In Mark chapter 2, verse 11 through 12, it says, as Jesus looks to this man, he says, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Can you picture it? Can you imagine yourself in this story? You're one of the people in the crowd, not only in the crowd, but you're one of the lucky ones who actually managed to get inside and you're witnessing all of this. Four men who did whatever they could, who went through the unconventional way of getting to Jesus because they believed in their core that he would help their friend. And you're inspired by their, their faith and you're amazed by the power of Jesus. What just happened? <laughs> so now that you have visualized this scene, and I really want you, if you want to close your eyes, just visualize this scene. Imagine yourself there. And now that you have done that, I want to go a little bit deeper in the story. Because I think that this is the perfect picture of what church should look like now of what we should be like as Christians. 
Whether we are together on a Sunday or not, whether we're socially distanced or not, whether there's restrictions or not, our calling and our purpose remains the same now and forever. So let's begin with the story or the context, sorry. <laughs> the story begins in chapter two, giving us the setting. And a few weeks ago, um, Reuben, my husband, was doing a Bible study on Thursday night. Some of you are part of that Bible study, and they were going through this story, and somebody asked, what is Capernaum? And so the, the story begins with this verse. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So we know that Capernaum was a town right in the, right in the, um, right on the Sea of Galilee. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 13, we read that Jesus moved from his hometown in Nazareth and he went to live in Capernaum. At least three, some people say five of his 12 disciples were from this town, Capernaum. So while Mark chapter 1 tells us that Jesus traveled all over Galilee preaching and teaching and healing, Capernaum was his home. Capernaum was the place that he would return to. If anyone had the privilege of being with Jesus the most, of seeing the most miracles, of being in his presence and hearing his teaching hours on end, it was the people of Capernaum. And yet seeing does not mean believing. The people were amazed and they'd follow Jesus to see what he would do next. But in their hearts, they didn't truly believe. There has never been a people so highly favored as the people of Capernaum. And never was there a people who appeared to have become so hardened. At one point, Jesus turns to them saddened and says that even the wicked people of Sodom would have repented by now and believed that he was the son of God if they had seen the miracles that these people were seeing. He says in Matthew chapter 11, 23, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. You see, familiarity can be a dangerous thing. It often causes apathy. It can harden our hearts. We have such easy access to the word of God today, and yet so many Christians barely pick up their Bibles. We have such easy access to, to scripture and to, to different um, platforms like Right Now Media where you have videos on end of just pastors and preachers telling you the mysteries and, and preaching and teaching about the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Just this week, I, I know I'm late to this, but just this week I found out about the show called um, The Chosen. It's on YouTube. If you haven't watched it, um, download the app and you can watch. It's just a, a show. I think there's two seasons so far about the gospels and it's just really well done. So I encourage you to watch that. We have access to things like this where it's the Bible just being um, being visualized through acting and it's just it's so beautiful and yet in the church we we become so familiar with it that our hearts can easily become hardened we can come to church and we can easily fall into a familiarity that makes our hearts cold to the gospel 
You've heard these worship songs before, and so you kind of just sing through the songs, and okay, when is Pedro and the team going to kind of finish? And, and you, you stop realizing the depth of the lyrics that you're singing and the meaning behind these words. And maybe you might even have some big problems in your life or some issues that are going on, but you've decided that you're just not going to think about them when you come to church. You're going to leave those problems at the door because for an hour and a half, you're just going to think about other things and pray and be with your friends at church. And I'm afraid that even our churches can become like the city of Capernaum where people get to hear the gospel so regularly, where people have such access to the teachings and the incredible power of God, and yet there is no repentance. There is no transformation in our lives. And it's in this setting of unbelief, it's in this town that we see four men rising with inspiring faith. They hear that Jesus has come home and they need to find him. They need to bring their friend to Jesus because they believe in the core of their being that he has the power to change him. What if we came to church with this kind of faith? What if in this setting of unbelief all around us, what if we came to church with a faith that believes that there is presence or there is power in the presence of God? The faith that believes that nothing can remain the same in the presence of Jesus. The faith that doesn't give up, it perseveres, it climbs a roof and it digs a hole. What if we came to church believing that today God can not only encounter my needs and bring breakthrough in my life, but through my faith God can bring breakthrough and healing in the lives of my friends what if we came to church with enough faith for ourselves and for those around us? There is power in the presence of Jesus. Let us never become apathetic to that. Let us never become cold to that. Let us never become just um, ordinary about that. The presence of God is extraordinarily beautiful. The presence of God is transformational. It says in 2 Corinthians 3, 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Pedro began the worship today with this verse, with this truth. There is freedom in the presence of God. How many of you know that the Spirit of the Lord is not confined to these four walls? He lives inside of the heart of every believer. And so that means that wherever I go, God goes. Wherever I go, the Spirit of the Lord goes. And so when you go into work, when we go into work, we bring the transformational presence of Jesus with us. When we meet up with our friends just for a casual coffee at the Splanada, we carry the Spirit of the Lord that has the power to free people, to comfort people, to bring wisdom, to bring healing. I really believe this morning that Jesus is calling us to wake up from this familiarity and apathy of Capernaum and to come to his presence with the faith of these four friends. The Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, he was moved. It says in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. My question for you today 
is can God see your faith? Can people in your life, can the people around you see your faith? See, I think that sometimes as Christians, we're so afraid of what people might think. We're so afraid of being criticized or ridiculed that we limit our relationship with God. We limit what the Holy Spirit wants to do so that others will continue to accept us. And so when the Holy Spirit prompts us and we feel it in our hearts, we're even too scared to go ask someone if we can pray for them because what if they say no? We're scared of believing for something greater because maybe it doesn't make complete sense. Maybe it's illogical. And when it doesn't happen, what if it doesn't happen? Then it's just going to be embarrassing. We even hesitate to do something as simple as, as clap or cry or kneel in church because what will other people think around me? James chapter 4 verse 4 says this. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And I know that this verse sounds quite harsh. But it's basically saying that you cannot follow God and try to please the world at the same time. Your faith doesn't always have to make sense to everyone around you. It just has to focus on who God is and what he has promised to be in your life. What a shame it would have been if these guys had never brought their friend to Jesus because what will other people think when we start going up the roof and digging up a hole? What a shame it would have been if they would have never brought their friend to Jesus because what if we do all this effort? What if we go through all this and then we get to Jesus and he actually doesn't heal him? How embarrassing will that be? What a shame it would have been. And yet they were moved by their faith that believed that Jesus could do it. They were moved by their faith that was so focused on the ability of God to bring transformation that they couldn't care less what people thought. They couldn't care less if it didn't make sense to them. They were focused on who Jesus was. Can God see our faith? Are we living our Christianity in a way that our faith moves the heart of God? A couple years ago, Ruben and I went to Sweden to visit some friends, and um, we, were, we were having dinner with our friend Sarah, and this was her apartment. Um, she's about our age, and so she was doing the cooking, and I was helping her set the table. And right before she was about to bring um, the pot of food, I asked her, where's the placemat so that you don't burn the table? It was a, in Sweden, pretty much everything is wooden. And so she had a really nice wooden table. And so I asked her, where's the mat so that we don't burn the table? And she said, oh, that's not necessary. If you actually look at my table, it's full of burn marks. Because when it burns the table, it reminds me of good times with my friends. It reminds me that I've spent a really nice time, and it reminds me of the, the memories I've spent with people. And, um, and that just reminded me because I would like to imagine that after that day, some people think that the house that Jesus was teaching in was actually the house of Jesus. 
Other people think that it was Peter's house and it was his family's house. Some people I've even heard said that Jesus and Peter were flatmates, that Jesus was actually living with, with Peter's family. But whether it was Peter's house or Jesus' house, I would like to imagine that after that day, they fixed the roof in a way that whenever they would look up at the ceiling, they would be reminded of the faith of these four friends. You see, I've always heard this story from the perspective that the owners of the house were annoyed, that they were irritated, that how dare someone make a hole in their roof, and that they would be angry, that they would have to incur the cost of having to fix that later. But if it was Peter's house, then I would argue that him and his wife were actually proud to have a hole in their roof. You see, in the previous chapter, we read that Jesus had just healed Peter's mother-in-law. His wife must have been so grateful to Jesus. Not only was she seeing the transformation in her husband's life since Jesus came into his life, he, he's now becoming a different man day by day, but now she had also received a beautiful gift. Her mother was in bed with the fever. Things were not looking good, and Jesus comes and he heals her. Oh, I can imagine this woman's heart is overflowing with gratitude for Jesus. And so now this is just speculation. This is just me thinking. But I can only imagine that because of their intimate relationship with Jesus, their compassion allowed them to see beyond the inconvenience of this hole in their roof, of their house being vandalized. And they were actually glad that their home was a place where others could encounter and be touched by Jesus. But usually we tell the version of the story where the owners of the home are annoyed, where they're irritated and they're angry. Because that's our natural response. Even as Christians, people's needs are an inconvenience. This week I read a post that said that people need your love the most when they deserve it the least. This, for the past couple of weeks, our beneficiary coordination manager, Tamara, She's a social worker that works at the Lisbon Project, and she's been away in the UK for the past couple of weeks. And one of her responsibilities is to have the Lisbon Project phone, and that's the most direct way where people can just call and, and ask for help, whether they're registered or not registered, and they can just um, ask what they should do next. And because she was away, then that was one of my responsibilities to take over and have the phone for these two weeks. And let me be honest with you, I did not like this task. <laughs> it was not fun. Every call that came through, I kind of had to brace myself and get ready for it. Because people who are in need, who have been hurt, mistreated, or ignored, are not always the most polite. They're not always the most respectful or loving. On one particular call, I had a woman shout at me in broken English for literally almost 15 minutes. And it was like she was breaking every roof in my house, and I was not happy about it. But as she spoke, I had to breathe in deeply and remind myself that under her tone and under her words was pain, was someone begging for help, was someone who had been through so much, and she just wanted answers. She just wanted somebody to listen and somebody to do something. And so my job as the leader of the Lisbon Project and as a Christian 
was to listen to her and to make sure that our organization is a home where we are proud of having a hole in our roof if it means that it's a home for people to meet Jesus. If it means that it's a place for people to encounter him and be changed by him. What kind of Christian are you? What kind of church are we? Are we a church that sees people's needs and the way that they express those needs as an inconvenience? Something we have to take, take care of later? Or are we a church that lovingly is proud when there's a hole in our roof? Are we a church that, that is lovingly proud when, when there's inconveniences because we know that it's one step closer for people to meet Jesus? It's an opportunity for us to share the gospel. It's an opportunity for us to pray healing over people. It's an opportunity for us to comfort, for us to embrace, for us to show that there is a greater hope in Jesus Christ, our King. Do we want to go through the motions of living a nice Christianity that is acceptable to everyone around us? Or do we want to be disrupted by faith? Do we want to witness miracles and see God move in each other's lives, even if it has to get a little messy? Even if, it might, if we might get some ridicule? Even if that faith requires a risk, because this step that these four men took, it required a risk. And as the men lowered their friend before Jesus, the word says that, when he saw their faith, he turned to the paralyzed man and he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. More than his physical well-being, Jesus wanted to restore this man from the inside. He wanted to heal his spiritual paralysis. Jesus didn't come to impress us with miracles. Jesus came to reconcile us in our relationship with God. To forgive us of our sins and to show us our true identity as sons and daughters of God. Something extraordinarily beautiful happens when someone is forgiven. And I don't think these four men, that they were expecting to see Jesus forgive their friend's sins. I don't think that's what was in their mind and their heart when they came to Jesus. I think that they were mainly just looking for the miracle of healing. But I don't want to be a church just chasing miracles. I want to be a church chasing restoration and reconciliation. I want to believe that God can transform us and the people around us from the inside out. That's why we started Riverside Lisbon. Because when God put it on our hearts to start the Lisbon Project, we said, it doesn't make sense to just help people's physical needs that are actually temporary while neglecting their spiritual needs that are eternal that are going to have an eternal impact in their lives. And so we have these two ministries, Riverside and the Lisbon Project, because we believe that God does a holistic transformation in people's lives. We don't want people to just be amazed by the miracle. We want them to fall in love with the miracle maker. And as I look to the rest of this year, and I'm going to call the worship band to come up. As I look to the rest of this year, and as I look to us as a church, this is the picture that is so engraved in my heart. 
This is what I want us to look like. I want this picture of these four friends doing whatever it takes to get Jesus, to get to Jesus, to guide our faith. Let's believe that there is power in the presence of Jesus. Don't just come to church because it's something you do on a Sunday. Come to church and be the church that is expectant and open to see God move in us and through us for his glory. This is not just another Sunday. We want God to move because that's what he does. He is a God that is always working. He is a God that has the power to heal, to provide, to open doors, to restore. But we don't just want to see the outward miracles of what God can do. We want to see transformation. I want to see repentance in my life of the things that should not be in my heart. And I want to see repentance repentance in your life of the things that maybe you're doing that are not aligned with the will of God let us be transformed from the inside out we want to believe that there is power in the presence of Jesus do you believe with me and as you I'm going to ask you to stand up this morning and we're going to dedicate the next few minutes to just focusing on the presence of Jesus. Put yourself in this scene. Are you one of the four men that comes to Jesus expectant of what he can do? Or are you one of the Pharisees that's just side watching all of this and questioning who is Jesus to do something like this and being skeptical and doubtful who are you in this story are you the paralyzed man that needs healing do you have friends in your life that are the paralyzed man that needs Jesus there's a there's an encounter in the Bible that that I relate to so much a man comes to Jesus and he says Lord I believe help me believe and I've said this before, but it's, it's, it's my prayer all the time. God, I believe, but help me believe. Help me have this faith. And help me see the miracle. Help me believe for the miracle. Help me not just read of Bible stories and testimonies of other people's lives, but I want to see it in my own life. I want to see miracles in my own life, and I want to testify of your glory. I want to be a church that is alive. I want to be a church that every Sunday there's people coming up and sharing of the goodness of God. I think it, it, it's almost sad when sometimes we ask the church who has a testimony and maybe one person will come up or two people will come up. Man, I want to be a church where everyone is eager to tell people of the goodness of God, whether it was a huge miracle or whether it's just the fact that you're healthy today. I want to be a church that is so excited about this faith, that is so excited about this Jesus who cares. I want to be a church that is alive, excited, passionate. Lord, fan into flame a passion for your name. Let's believe. God, help us believe. Lord, this morning, we want to focus on your promises. Not on the circumstances that we're going through. Not on how full or crowded the house looks, God. But we want to focus on what you have promised us. 
We want to come to you in faith that you are able. We come surrender to your will, but Lord, we ask that you move. Move in our hearts, God. Transform us from the inside out. Let's focus on your promises.